Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'd like to begin this episode by thanking Sinead, host of the amazing podcast, Mens Rea. Sinead asked us to take part in her St. Patrick's Day special, which we were thrilled and honored to do, and the story we chose to do for that special led to the subject of this episode. So we have Sinead to thank for leading us to the victim's stories presented here. If you haven't checked out Mens Rea yet, you're missing out. Sinead's attention to detail, storytelling, and entrancing Irish drawl are all top-notch. Please stay tuned to the end of the episode for the Mens Rea trailer. You'll be glad you did. Now on to the show. The Gone Cold Podcast may contain violent or graphic subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. They sat in the car a few minutes, he says, and uh, they talked about having sex, and she insisted on some money up front, and they got then in an argument over that, and he got her out of the car on, on the driver's side and began to choke her and ended up uh, uh, cutting the throat with a knife. Galveston County, Texas, there lies an approximate 25-acre stretch of land in League City that has captured the interest of people around the world, known as the Texas Killing Fields, where the bodies of an unthinkable number of young women were found discarded. League City is situated between Houston and Galveston Island, and the Killing Fields are located in the southwest of the city on the edge of Calder Oil Field. It was a relatively desolate area in the 1970s and 1980s. A mile to the east was Interstate 45, too far for motorists traveling the busy highway to hear the screams of victims if they were killed where they were found. The pitch black and barren environment that the night brought upon the area virtually assured the utmost privacy while dumping the body of a victim. To this day, a vast majority of these victims' murders remain unsolved. 
most of them were residents of Houston, Galveston, or the immediate smaller towns surrounding the two. There also exists a lesser-known dumping ground in the state of Texas, though the victims aren't as concentrated in one area as in the case of the League City killing fields. The bodies of several young women were found along highways that passed through Montgomery County in the early 1980s. The entire county seems to have been the dumping ground in the case of Montgomery County. Some of the following horrific murders share similarities. A detail shared across three of the victims is particularly gruesome and makes it difficult to discount those cases as being connected and all but one of the slangs were thought, at one time, to be connected by a common factor that all but certainly stifled the investigations. A common factor that, unfortunately, must be addressed to tell the story. The story of the victims of what is referred to as the killing fields of Montgomery County. Montgomery County, Texas, is due north of Harris County, the county that houses Texas' largest city, Houston, and just to the south of Harris County is Galveston County, the reluctant home of Leak City and the killing fields there. Regardless, and almost in spite of its closeness to Houston, Montgomery County for many years maintained its flushed timberlands and a majority of the towns within the county's limits, their small, country-town charm and ease of character even in many of its southernmost towns and cities, in which Houston has continually threatened with its constant expansion. Houston's constant growth, however, eventually affected Montgomery County when Houston's northward suburban growth invaded parts of the southern portion of the county. Though many of the friendly, picturesque towns there continue to turn their backs on simply joining the ranks of Houston's seemingly endless conquest for suburban outliers. Montgomery County was the third county established in the Republic of Texas. Its resources are rich and abundant and include timber, lakes, gravel, and oil. In fact, the county was once able to boast the third largest oil field in the United States. In 1980, the town of New Caney, located in the southeast corner of Montgomery County, was small. Its population was around 8,000 residents, and regardless of its relatively close proximity to Houston's city limits, the town remained secluded from the hustle and bustle of big city life. At about 2 p.m. on Tuesday, July 8, 1980, a man noticed smoke billowing just inside a wooded area off FM 159 and Roman Forest Boulevard in New Cheney. He went to investigate the smoke to make sure it was nothing serious, and upon arrival at the source of the smoke, he observed two white males closing the trunk of a 1976 or 1977 blue Chevy Nova, which he described as souped up with oversized tires, dual exhaust, and racing stripes, one with shoulder-length blonde hair and a baby blue western shirt, the other with bushy hair and thick sideburns 
and a medium complexion. The men entered the vehicle and fled the scene of the fire, which appeared to the witness to be a large log aflame. When Montgomery County Sheriff's Office deputies arrived at the scene, they were horrified to learn that firemen had discovered that the flames weren't engulfing a log, but the body of a woman. Homicide investigators discovered marks on the ground where the woman had been dragged to the spot in which she'd been set ablaze, and were shocked to discover two freshly dug holes nearby, which appeared to them to be potential grave sites. Scraps of bloody clothing were also found, though this evidence would later be misplaced and lost forever. The men seen fleeing the scene in the blue Chevy Nova couldn't be ruled out as possible persons of interest, but police were adamant that they weren't necessarily suspects either, since they may have merely been investigating the source of the billowing smoke, just as the witness who alerted authorities had done. It would later be determined through dental records that the victim was 19-year-old Barbara Gale Witten, an African-American woman from Houston. The medical examiner discovered upon an autopsy that Gloria had been shot nine times in the back and abdomen with a 22 caliber firearm the same day she was found. A little over two years later, on the southwestern side of Montgomery County, about 40 miles away from where Barbara Gale Witten's body was found burning, a Magnolia resident would make a startling and terrifying discovery. At around 4 p.m. on Saturday, October 2nd, 1982, a man readying for hunting season stopped at his deer feeder to refill the mechanism with dried corn. The location of the feeder was just off the intersection of FM 1488 and Alford Road, near the town's gravel pit. The man discovered the body of a white female there. She was laying on her back, dressed in blue jeans and a white, short-sleeved, western-style blouse. It was determined that the young woman, who would later be identified as 28-year-old Gloria Ann Steppen, was placed at this location within hours of the man discovering her body, since another Magnolia resident would come forward and tell police that he had been to that location at 9.30 that morning and the teenager's body wasn't there. Gloria had last been seen in her 1975 light blue Plymouth station wagon at approximately 12 p.m. on the day she was found at a convenience store in the Cloverleaf neighborhood in Houston, about an hour southeast of where the discovery of Gloria's body was made. That vehicle was found in Kerrville, Texas by a Texas state trooper in the early morning hours of the following day. Sunday, October 3rd, 1982, at 1 a.m., along Highway 290. Kerrville is about 230 miles west of Magnolia. The drive would take somewhere around four hours. The medical examiner determined that Gloria died at the gravel pit off Alford Road and FM 1488 of a stab wound to the neck including lacerations to the external jugular vein and common carotid artery and asphyxiation due to strangulation. The spring of 1983 proved 
particularly horrific. Within two months, three young women were found brutally slain in the killing fields of Montgomery County. In the early morning hours of March 17, 1983, hours before festivities celebrating St. Patrick's Day would begin, Conroe's idyllic and seemingly sheltered small-town repute would be challenged. At approximately 3 a.m., a Montgomery County Sheriff's Office patrol deputy slowed his vehicle to a halt along the northbound service road of Interstate 45 near League Line Road in Conroe. The deputy had noticed a flickering light just behind the tree line of the woods alongside the road there. Long-haul truckers often pulled their semis to this particular area to catch up on some presumably long-overdue rest, so it was a routine area to patrol. But the luminous activity was certainly unusual. As he eased the patrol car closer to investigate, he observed that the fast and sporadic lights weren't a lantern or flashlight, but a fire. He left his patrol car to get a closer look, and what the deputy found was gruesome. The charred body of a white female laid on the ground engulfed in flames. He quickly called for backup, and when they arrived, the scene was swept for clues. The only items found, though, were a souvenir ink pen from a 76 truck stop near her body and the cap from a container of 15W40 motor oil on her stomach. Investigators theorized that the oil was used as an accelerant for the fire. The medical examiner determined in the autopsy that the young woman had been badly beaten, raped, and strangled to death. There were no immediate leads pointing to who brutalized, sexually assaulted, and slayed the young woman. Sheriff's Office investigators, in fact, couldn't even identify the young woman, and she was listed as a Jane Doe. For over three years, the young woman found just inside the woods off Interstate 45 in Conroe remained a Jane Doe. On May 12, 1986, however, the FBI finally identified her by fingerprint comparisons as Laura Marie Purchase. The 26-year-old was last seen on March 5, 1983, in Houston, where she lived with a man named Howard, or Howie, who played in a local Houston band called Malibu, and who is thought to have lived in a motel on the North Freeway there. 16-year-old Laura Jean Denez was a freshman at John H. Reagan High School in Houston and was a member of the school's ROTC drill team, the Reagan Rifleettes. Friday, April 15, 1983, was ROTC day at Reagan High, and Laura Jean realized she didn't have any pantyhose to wear, a requirement for her ROTC drill team uniform. So she told her younger sister that she'd see her after school, that she was skipping instead of taking the failing grade in which she'd receive for the lack of proper attire for the drill that day. That was the last time Laura Jean's younger sister would see her. 
Laura Jean's older sister said she was headed to a restaurant around the corner from their home to get a burger when she last saw her. Laura Jean was walking to the establishment as her older sister left to pick up the younger kids from school. Laura Jean never made it back home, and at that time, it was unknown if she'd ever made it to the restaurant. Three days later, on Monday, April 18th, 1983, in an oil field along FM 149, about seven miles north of the small, historic Texas town and former county seat, Montgomery, an oil field worker observed a fire in the nearby woods at the southern line of the Sam Houston National Forest. He investigated and was appalled at what he discovered the burning body of a young female. The man, of course, rushed to alert police. Montgomery County Sheriff's Office deputies found little at the scene, but the fire was determined to have been set using a road flare. Upon an autopsy, the medical examiner determined that the young woman had been beaten in the head with a blunt object, raped, and strangled to death. The victim was identified not long after her discovery as Laura Jean Denez. When detectives first came upon Laura Jean's missing persons report, they brought jewelry to her family in Houston to make the identification. Laura Jean's younger sister didn't know she was deceased until a detective uncovered a container in which the jewelry was contained and showed her. The undigested food in her stomach at the autopsy suggested that Laura Jean had made it to the burger joint the day she was last seen. On Friday, May 13, 1983, school children walking through a wooded area behind a 76 truck stop on Highway 159 and FM 1485 found the badly decomposed body of a white female. The spot where she was found was an area where truck drivers parked their semis. An autopsy found that the victim died as a result of two blunt force blows to her head, which resulted in skull fractures. She was 15 to 22 years of age, with dark brown hair, was wearing Shades brand designer jeans, a tan terry cloth long-sleeved shirt, Wrangler brand, and white underwear. Her decomposed weight was 78 pounds, height 59 inches. Though her DNA was later taken from her remains and entered into the missing and unidentified person's DNA database, her identity remains unknown to this day. She is known only as the New Caney Jane Doe. The Montgomery County Sheriff's Office wouldn't have to wait long for what they thought was the big break they were looking for, as it soon came in the form of a man known as the One-Eyed Drifter, Henry Lee Lucas. Lucky Land 
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shortly after his arrest for possessing a deadly weapon as a felon in June of 1983, only a month after the new Caney Jane Doe's severely decomposed body was found behind the 76 truck stop, Lucas began spewing his infamous confessions. Lucas didn't confess to the murder of the new Caney Jane Doe. However, he did confess to the slangs of Barbara Gale Witten, Gloria Ann Steppen, Laura Marie Purchase, and Laura Jean Denez. Four out of the five victims of the so-called killing fields of Montgomery County. Lucas's seemingly endless admissions were no doubt fueled by his quest for infamy and what he would later call, after he recanted virtually all of his confessions, an attempt to make Texas law enforcement look like idiots, to paraphrase. His attempt at this may or may not have been a success, depending on who you ask, but police from all around Texas and many other parts of the United States were foaming at the mouth to tie Lucas to their unsolved and cold cases. Lucas traveled with police from location to location, providing details about his claimed killings, often prompted by police who, according to many, spoon-fed him details to refresh his memory, hoping that his confessions would clear cases in which conclusions had eluded them. He was already facing murder charges for the slang of his underage girlfriend, Becky Powell, and 82-year-old Kate Rich, both of which he originally confessed to after being picked up on that weapons violation. He surely knew these charges would stick, so being treated like a jet-setting rock star as he took police on a multi-state confession spree presumably seemed to Lucas like a much more enjoyable way to spend his incarceration. Again, Lucas confessed to four of, of these five killings in Montgomery County and was eventually convicted of two, but in 1986, Texas State Attorney General Jim Maddox released a report that his office had been working on since Lucas's confession spree began, the Lucas Report. His introduction is a scathing shame on you to law enforcement officials and investigators who, quote, did nothing to bring an end to his hoax. Maddox said that besides the murder of his mother in 1961, and of Becky Powell and Kate Rich in 1982, that there is no physical evidence linking him to his confessed slangs. Quote, Lucas did not lead authorities to any bodies of victims. It would be easy to digress into a long-winded description of Maddox's blistering review of how law enforcement mishandled investigations into Lucas's confessions, but I won't. 
A particular quote, though, is relevant to the cases discussed here, and in many other cases, for that matter. Quote, In our investigation, we found cases where it is highly unlikely that Lucas could have committed the murders, yet he knew certain incriminating information about the crimes. Our conclusion is that most of the information was obtained by Lucas through the interview process. When numerous officers interviewed Lucas about the same crime, Lucas was shown written crime reports and photographs of crime scenes or was helped to find his cases. End quote. Maddox also points out that Lucas confessed to the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa supplying Jim Jones with the cyanide that was responsible for the mass suicide at Jonestown and a fictional case in which the Dallas Police Department presented to Lucas when he confessed to 12 other murders there. Luckily, there are outstanding detectives who have become interested in reopening cases in which Lucas pled guilty to, seeking to prove that his confessions were false. They're interested in justice for the victims and their families, not simply clearing cases for the sake of that action or statistic. Detective Thomas DeRoy of the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office Cold Case Squad is one such detective. In 2010, DeRoy reopened several of the cases in his jurisdiction in which Henry Lee Lucas confessed to DeRoy believed it was very likely that none of the slangs in his county were carried out by the serial confessor. DeRoy and the team under his charge have proved it in one instance. On October 5, 1984, Lucas pled guilty and was convicted of the sexual assault and murder of Laura Marie Purchase, whose corpse was found burning in the early morning hours of March 17, 1983 receiving one of the many life sentences that would ultimately be stacked on him. Seminal fluid found on Laura was tested for DNA. The DNA profile was uploaded into FBI's CODIS database, and Lucas was not a match. Unfortunately, there have been no other matches. Laura's boyfriend, Howie, was never located by investigators. Detective DeRoy told the Houston Press of his investigative efforts in September of 2010, quote, What's interesting to us is we can't find a record of him trying to report her missing. End quote. Remember, Laura had been missing for three years before she was identified. Lucas wasn't convicted for the slang of Barbara Gale Witten, though he did confess to killing her. The Lucas Report details him as selling scrap metal in Jacksonville, Florida on July 3, 1980, and twice as much scrap metal, 2,231 pounds, on July 11, 1980. Gloria Gale Witten's body was found ablaze on July 8, 1980, and she was murdered shortly before that, making the thought of Lucas's presence in New Caney, Montgomery County, Texas, a bit of a stretch. It's possible, sure. Probable and realistic, not so much. Even less probable is Lucas's guilt in the murder of Gloria Ann Steppen. 
He claims more than a hundred women have died at his hand. Lawmen believe three of those may have been murdered in Montgomery County. Yesterday, Henry Lee Lucas located separate murder sites where two bodies have been found within the last year. Again today, he's volunteered to ride with Lawman and pinpoint the spot where a third victim died. Gloria Steppen, stabbed, strangled, and sexually abused. That was months ago, and today's test will help determine whether charges should be filed. Lucas directs the search car through a grassy field, stopping near a forest west of Magnolia. Lucas led authorities about 50 to 75 yards deeper into the woods looking for that third grave. They were out of sight about 10 minutes. Lucas locates the general death site and describes the murder to Sheriff Joe Corley. Uh, they sat in the car a few minutes, he says, and uh, they talked about having sex, and she insisted on some money up front, and they got then in an argument over that, and he got her out of the car on, on the driver's side and began to choke her and ended up uh, uh, cutting her throat with a knife. Lucas claims he then abused his victim again while she was dead. Sheriff Corley is satisfied with the story and may recommend three murder charges be added to the five already facing Lucas. Houston police and sheriff's deputies are also waiting to talk with the former mental patient about murders in Harris County. Gloria Ann Steppen, who'd been stabbed in the throat and strangled to death, was found on October 2nd, 1982. On October 1st, 1982, according to the Lucas Report, Lucas filled out an unemployment application in Decatur, Illinois. On October 5th, 1982, Lucas placed a collect call to Stoneburg, Texas, from Indiana. It is incredibly unlikely that he was anywhere near Gloria or Montgomery County, much less the entire state of Texas, in early October of 1982. A detail from the above-played NBC News audio might be considered telling. The newscast details that Lucas claimed to have, quote, abused her again after murdering her. But Gloria was found clothed, and no inference was made to her being redressed in the original reports. This detail from the newscast seems relevant as well. They apparently discussed the location before getting out of the car and heading for the woods. Lucas also pled guilty to, and was convicted and sentenced for, the rape and slang of 16-year-old Laura Jean Dinez, whose body was also found burning on April 18, 1983. According to the Lucas report, he was in Texas at the time, but in Stoneburg near Wichita Falls, almost 350 miles north of where Laura Jean disappeared from in Houston. The sexual assault and murder of Laura Jean Dinez is the most difficult out of these four confessions to rule out, given Lucas's proximity. However, it's difficult to ignore or understate a dramatic detail in her slang and in the homicides of both Laura Marie Purchase and Barbara Gale Witten, the fact that all three of the young women were found set on fire. Montgomery County Sheriff's Office Detective DeRoy notes certain details that helped him theorize a possibility. He said, quote, I think with the fires, the major roadways where the bodies were left, the flare, the truck stop connection to some of these, I just think we'd be remiss in not at least looking to see if they are connected. You just can't ignore the trucker angle. 
you even have a body found right behind a truck stop. That's where truckers back up, park, sleep, whatever. And if that was the case with the Jane Doe, apparently somebody just pulled her from the rig and took her in the woods and left. If you have any information on the murders of Laura Jean Denez, Laura Marie Purchase, Gloria Ann Steppen, Barbara Gale Witten, or any information on the identity or homicide of New Caney Jane Doe, please contact the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office at 936-760-5876. Don't forget to stick around for a promo from our good friend Sinead's podcast, Mens Rea. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the University of North Texas Special Collections for allowing the use of the NBC newscast used this episode from their NBC5 KXAS television news archive. The Houston Press, the Houston Chronicle, and the Austin Statesman were used as sources for this episode. If you'd like to support Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash Podcast. There are several varying donation levels to choose from, with perks to go along with each, including ad-free listening at all levels. Donations help us cover the costs of research and production, and we can't thank y'all enough for your support. Another great way to support the show is to leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the show. It helps guide more folks our way. And if you're interested in all things true crime, check out our go-to spot on the web, thetruecrimefiles.com. There you'll find well-presented cases, many unknown or ignored by the media, as well as book reviews, podcast reviews, and guest spots. TheTrueCrimeFiles.com is an amazing resource for learning about cases you might not be aware of otherwise. Check it out. Thanks for listening, y'all. Mens rea is the legal principle of criminal intent. It means literally the guilty mind. Join me, Sinead, every fortnight to discuss Ireland and the UK's most heinous crimes and the court cases that followed. Do you want to know more about a kink killing in Dublin in 2012? Or serial killers in Scotland? Whatever your guilty pleasure, you'll find it and all the details with me. Find Mens Rea wherever you get your podcasts.